Well, we are continuing to look at new life, the new life in Christ. We talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it this week. And matter of fact, there was a verse that I skipped over last week that I told you we would get to. And so we're going to do that verse today for those of you who were bothered that I skipped a verse. Uh, so we're going to do that verse for you today as we talk about new life. Now, uh, as we're talking about the subject of new life, uh, we have a couple here in our church who is preparing to go to Romania. And uh, Heather and Richard Vanderdice. Heather served on our staff for several years, and uh, Richard has been a part. Matter of fact, they met each other here uh, when Heather was in the college ministry a few years ago, and now they are preparing to go, and you're going to get to hear a little bit about that in just a moment, but I I love this story. Um, They came and began to get active, began to serve and uh, met a couple, the Spinks, who is a couple that a family that we now support out of our church in uh, Romania. And uh, they went on a trip over there. Matter of fact, we bought them tickets to go over there and encourage them and to take supplies to them. And while they were there, they just began to learn more about the ministry. And uh, then they came back and then they did another trip. And this time it was more of a traditional mission trip. And God just really began to stir their hearts. Should this be something we do, should do? And they'd only been married a couple of years. Matter of fact, Heather was working for us in our communications area. And I remember I asked Heather one time, uh, can, you, can you try to rent this car for you? She goes, I, I can't. I said, why not? She goes, because I'm not old enough to rent a car. And, uh, but she, has been, she was such a faithful servant. And Rich and Richard now uh, will be leaving to go to uh, Romania to serve there on the mission field. And so we're so thrilled and so excited about what God is doing in their heart. I asked them earlier uh, this week, I said, when did you know for sure you were going to do this? When did you know I, I am all in? She goes, when we bought the tickets. And that's, that's when I knew. So I'm going to ask them to come on up. Heather and Richard Vanderdice, if you would come on up for just a moment. So my first question for you guys is, Tell me when you're leaving and where exactly you are headed to at this point. So we are leaving the U.S. on November 28th, and we arrive in Transylvania on the 1st of December. Uh, We will be living in a small Hungarian village. It's actually the same village as Beninchilla Spink. Okay. All right. So tell me why you're going. What what, what are you going to be doing, and tell me why you're going. Well, we're going to be focusing on... um, acclimating to the culture there and learning the language um, and building the relationships with the people uh, in the village that we'll be living in. And we're going to be um, serving those local churches um, and assisting with uh, worship, uh, since we've done that before, and seeking uh, God's direction for however else we can, we can help there and, you know, in uh, whatever areas they need. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So I think this fits in well as we talk about new life, new life, and as we talk about new life, uh, you know, Heather and Richard are certainly about to have a new life as they go to a third world country. Uh, Is it a different climate, uh, different language, uh, so many differences, Uh, but God has been working in their lives, And, and I love the story about how they were just faithful here faithful here within our church, faithful within our body, serving here, and they just kept taking the next step. And as they uh, went on a mission trip, God spoke to their hearts that, hey, let's become more involved. Let's see how we can help. And as they grew in faith, 
They just kept taking steps. And that's kind of the way it works. So many times we want to know, God, what is it you want me to do? And I want to know what the end result is. And God just keeps saying, I want you to be faithful right where you are. And when you're faithful in this step, we'll open up another door and another and another. It's incumbent upon you to be faithful with the opportunities that you've been given. Paul's talking about this as he talks about the new life in Christ. And the Ephesian church that he's writing to. And this letter will be circulated throughout the area and multiple churches will receive this letter and what does it mean and what does it look like to live the new life in Christ inspired by the gospel of Jesus Christ how should it manifest itself now to understand this I think it covers three areas the new life does first of all it covers the area of responsibility and we talked about that last week the responsibilities that we've been given then work and then giving we see these three areas of the new life of the new life in Christ and how others would see a difference made in their lives. Now, let's do a quick review uh, from last week as we did chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, as Paul described the new life. First of all, last week we talked about our responsibilities. We have a responsibility with how we live and with the words that we choose to use. And we talked about this. We talked about the importance of think, T-H-I-N-K, before we speak. Uh, one of the ways that we de- demonstrate the new life is by asking this question. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I think a lot of conflict would be resolved if we could simply do this. If we could simply think before we speak and ask ourselves, is this true? Is this helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Then we talked about forgiveness. Paul sums up this chapter talking about forgiveness. And a lot of times people get confused because they have a a different concept of what forgiveness is. And they've heard things like forgive and forget. That's what forgiveness is. But that's not always the case. Matter of fact, forgiveness doesn't always mean you forget. If you lost a loved one or a child due to someone's negligence or just because of their evil intent, uh, you would never forget that. Does that mean you can never forgive them? No. It doesn't, to be honest with you, biblically, the Bible says that God forgets, but since we're not God, we're probably not going to forget. So forgetting is not a prerequisite. It may be a cop-out, but it's not a prerequisite. It's also not a prerequisite to pretend, to pretend like, yes, I'm sorry, and everything's fine. I hate your guts inside. Okay, pretending is not forgiveness. Feelings are not forgiveness. I'm just going to wait till I feel like it. Well, there's a good chance you'll never feel like it, if we, wait till we, if we wait to forgive till we feel, uh, it's bigger than a feeling. We're always going to have feelings to contend with in all parts of life. So forgiveness is not you feeling just right, not you feeling warm and fuzzy. Uh, forgiveness is not a weakness, and it's not condoning the wrongs that's happened. Uh, the, if it's something illegal, the courts will take its place, will, will take place, and uh, the law will be enforced, and that's part of it. Uh, but uh, forgiveness is not trusting either. It doesn't mean that you trust them in that same context in a sense that, you know what, I'm going to trust them with my money or I'm going to trust them in another situation that we know that they probably have a weakness in, that they've not matured in, they've not grown in. So it's not necessarily trusting them in all situations. It's not a one-time event. I told them I'm sorry, now it's all over. Well, often uh, those memories come back. Maybe that behavior manifests itself in other ways, and it's a constant forgiving 
is a constant state of mind and of spirit that we, that we walk through. And last of all, it's not necessarily closure, where everybody gets back together, we all hug and kiss, and everybody's good again. Uh, you can forgive without the other person ever recognizing or ever admitting anything has been done wrong. You can choose to forgive. So that brings us to the second point. If that's what forgiveness is not, let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is resisting revenge. I'm not going to seek revenge on this person. I'll let the law take its course of action. I will let God Almighty be my judge, but I'm not going to seek to get back at them, nor will I rejoice in their harm or detriment. Uh, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to seek to destroy their character. I'm going to let release them to God. Uh, I'm going to pray for them, and most importantly, maybe, I'm going to make the decision to do it. Not because of what I feel, but because of the way Christ has forgiven me, I choose to forgive. I make the choice, the conscious choice to forgive. And I recognize there's probably a cost involved. It means that there's pain that goes with that, and it means that I have to navigate through situations that are more difficult. It is cost, but I choose to forgive because ultimately it's God's will. Okay, so we talked about the responsibilities that we've been given. And then we see also this concept of work that we'll see in Ephesians 4.28 in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to start back even further. I want us to go to Genesis chapter 1, and I want us to look at verse 27 and 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, when we talk about this concept of work. This concept of work, because uh, the Bible tells us right here very clearly that we were created in the own in God's own image in the image of God he created us okay that word the image of God imago deo is the latin term and what it means is created in the image of now what does it mean to be created in the image of God well as human beings that God has placed in the earth that we are different from the animals in three ways first of all from an intelligence standpoint God has given us an intellect to discern and to logically deduct and to understand there's more in this life than simply existing God has given us the intellectual capacity to know that. And so we're created like God in the image of God from an intellectual standpoint. Not that we know all that God knows by any stretch of the imagination, but he has given us a piece of intellect that we can associate more thoroughly with him. Also in our moral character, in morals, we understand right and wrong. Animals don't always understand the difference between right and wrong, but we have an innate ability to know that some things are wrong, some things are right. That doesn't mean that we fully know. It doesn't mean that we're moral by any stretch of the imagination, but innately, Romans talks about this, Paul does in Romans chapter 1, that we know there's something else. We know there's a right. We know there's a wrong. And then thirdly, we're created in the image of God spiritually. We recognize that we had a beginning and that we have a destiny and that ultimately we have a purpose. It's not to exist. It's not to find more food. It's not to just survive. Okay? It is ultimately, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, is to bring glory to God. It is to glorify God. But also we see another purpose. That's the ultimate purpose. What we see in this passage right here. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Literally, he says, flourish and fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue uh, means to control it. It means to take control and to have dominion, rule, and manage 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. So the Bible tells us here uh, that as men and women in the image of God, male and female, female in the image of God, we are to have dominion, we are to take ownership and authority, so to speak, over the earth. To care. Part of that means to manage, to care for, to take care of. That's a piece of that. And God has put us in that place because we are image bearers of God. Also, that means what? Work. If you go to Genesis 2.15, just flip over on the next page or look to the left. The Bible tells us this in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and keep it. To work it and to manage it. And to exercise authority and care over it. Now, before the curse, uh, I don't believe that work was something that a lot of people dread today. Uh, a lot of you would say, matter of fact, I read a statistic today. They said the, uh, the, the darkest and most depressing hour of the whole week. This was literally a, a psychological survey they did. They found it was 11 a.m. on Monday. thought that was interesting. 11 a.m. on Monday. And maybe you're dreading Monday. That was not the original design of God uh, for us to dread work. Matter of fact, from work, uh, it's part of our responsibility. We are to receive some of our dignity. It's part of our purpose to work, to have authority, to manage, to exercise uh, care. That is part of the way we were created. It's not the ultimate purpose, but it's part of the purpose in which we were created. That's why prison is so debilitating. When someone goes to federal or state or um, a a maximum security prison, they find themselves sitting in a cell without any authority, without any ability to manage or care for anything. It's debilitating. Okay, you know, sometimes we think, boy, I just wish I'd get rich and I'd do nothing. I'd just sit at home all day. Well, no, you don't really. Okay, Uh, now, if God allows you and blesses you to make enough money where you can go and serve and do ministry and do and help people the way that you want, that 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 would be a real blessing. But to just sit home, uh, that's not why we were created. We weren't created to just watch TV. Okay, Uh, that's not the purpose in which we were created. It's just like if my son uh, let's say that I had a relative that passed away and they left my son $10,000. They said, this is for your son for $10,000. However, he sees best to use it, then let him have it, best use it. And my son says, okay, I'm buying $10,000 worth of video games. That would not be a good steward of that money. I would resist that and I would strongly encourage him. We're, we're going to look at some other avenues and some other ways we can spend that. That's the same thing is true of your life. God knows that about us. And, and sometimes we're still that, we're, we're adults that can't wait to play video games. Um, for those of you that's accurate, of, we probably need to have another conversation. But nevertheless, <laughs> continuing here. We've been created in the image of God. We've been commissioned to have dominion and care over the earth, to work. It's part of who we are. Now, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the verse that we did not deal with last week. Ephesians 4, 28, Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. We've talked about the importance of our responsibilities. Now, here's the importance of work. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Okay, so why would he even say that? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the Ephesian church. Why would he even say, let the thief steal no longer, but rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands? 
Well, culturally, if we understand what's going on, what's transpiring during that time, uh, remember um, Rome has taken over Israel and Jerusalem and all the greater area. Matter of fact, most of the known world at that point. And the people are basically vassals or serfs to to a large degree. Uh, Most of them are. Most of them are peasants. And so it's a very difficult life. And uh, in most pagan cultures, this was norm. If you had the chance to get a little extra, if you had the chance to maybe take advantage of someone a little bit in your business, then you did it. It was just kind of standard practice. It was very normal, particularly when those who ruled over you were asking uh, for outrageous taxes and taking your land. And so anytime that you could take and get away with it, uh, that was just standard principle. That was understood. Some of the rabbis even taught that you should. And so this mindset uh, is in the people. And they're continuing. They wouldn't see themselves as thieves, but Paul calls them that. Look, when you steal, he said, look. He said, some of you, you've gotten the habit where you're so good at it that you don't even work with your own hands anymore. Matter of fact, many of the zealot groups uh, would raid uh, both foreigners and their own people, kind of in a Robin Hood mentality that, hey, we need it, so we'll take it. And Paul is talking to them, and he said, "Let, let the thief speaking of the individual, no longer steal, but rather let him labor. God created you to work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So there's three purposes for work, three reasons we are to work. First of all, we are to work to take care of the responsibilities that God has given us. You have a family, uh, you work to take care of those responsibilities. Um, In most cultures outside of Uh, like the United States of America and first world countries, a part of that is taking care of your parents. Uh, We have a a social security system. We have a pretty good retirement system. Most people do today. But in third world countries and throughout most of history, that was a part of your responsibility. They would take care of you when you were younger, and then when they got older and could not take care of themselves, particularly in an agrarian society, then you would take care of them. So he's saying you take care of your responsibility. Take care of your family responsibilities. That's why you work. Number two reason that you work is for the kingdom. The Bible says in, and we'll look at this in a moment, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added unto you. We work for the kingdom. We work for the purpose of God's kingdom and for his glory. And to give to that, to support it, to serve uh, that's one of the reasons we work. Number three, we work to give. And that's what Paul is saying right here. We work so that we can give because it is in giving that we receive. As Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, uh, 20, verse 35, it is better give. He's quoting Jesus. It is better get to give than to receive. It's part of the way that God created us. We are most fulfilled when we are taking our responsibilities seriously, when we are working and earning a living, and when we're sharing of those resources. It's part, it is by design, God has given us that way. But then it leads us to the giving component, the point that people always get frustrated with and go, why does he have to talk about that? And and maybe you're frustrated and angry right now, and uh, that's probably something that you ought to pay attention to. Uh, It's the temperature of our heart. Why does that frustrate us and anger us. Well, let's see what Jesus said. And if you get mad at what Jesus said, um, then we've got to deal with that heart when we realize that Jesus is giving us instructions and understanding about living in the new life in Christ. 
beware in chapter 1, excuse me, in chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. Then when you will have, excuse me, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give, notice he says verse 3, but when you give, it's not a if you give, it's but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right. So we see three things about giving. Jesus is teaching us about giving there. The first thing that we see about giving is the motivation for giving. A lot of times people only give to be seen, only give to release their conduct, or give so that people would think more of them or see what they've done. And Jesus says, that's the wrong motive. That's not, that's not the heart I'm looking for. That does you no favors. That's the end of it. You just gave to yourself. And so he talks about the motive of our giving. Secondly, he talks about the moment of giving. In verse 3, what did he say? But when you give. There's a moment. There's a time set aside that you give. And matter of fact, I believe it's something that's intentional and that's scheduled. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And then number three, our ambition for giving. In uh, Matthew six thirty-three, that I quoted earlier, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our ambition for giving. So there's a motive for giving, there's a moment for giving, and there's an ambition for giving. And Jesus tells us this. Well, giving isn't about getting money out of your pocket. It's about getting the greed out of our heart. Nothing will enslave you more than greed. Nothing will liberate you more than generosity. Giving is part of the sanctification process. What do I mean by sanctification process? It's the changing and the transforming of our hearts into the image of Christ. When we give, it initiates that process, particularly when it's hard for us to give. It's changing us. It's transforming us, much like Scripture does as it, as it speaks to us, as it convicts to us. So if that's true, and if that's important, if that's something that Jesus taught, if Paul said that's what our new life in Christ is to look like, then I think it's imperative for us to understand what type of givers we are. And you have to ask yourself, which one of these am I? The first one is, I'm a non-giver. I just don't give. I don't do anything. I don't give. I just show up. That's one kind. Number two, the self-seeking giver. Jesus talked about this. The person who gives to be seen. The person who gives so that they can make a name for themselves or that they can feel better about themselves. And Jesus said that's the wrong motive. The third one, the impulsive giver. If you make me cry, I'll give. If you make me feel really bad, I'll give. That's impulsive give. That's an immature way to give. So here's the step at least we want to try to get to. Intentional giving that I systematically have determined I'm going to give and I set it up either on my automatic bank draft or writing a check or paying a line, however you do bills today. Um, if you're like me, I don't write checks. Um, I don't have, matter of fact, my wife won't let me have the checkbook. But anyway, no, I really, I choose not to write checks. And so I don't write checks anymore. I do it all online. So it's systematic. Um, it's intentional giving. And from there, the, the tithe, the tithe is a marker 
Uh, it's not a legalistic mandate, but it's a marker, and it's a good place for us to strive to. To be candid with you, uh, for those who have much more, a tithe is a minimum. Uh, so, but it means tenth, and it was established even before. The, sometimes people say that's Old Testament law. It was established before the Old Testament law. It's been around for a long time. But it is a method. It is a it is a target mark. But where God really wants us to be is sacrificial givers or legacy givers. Now I say sacrificial, and we I want us to understand this. I'm saying sacrifice as a first world country. All right, because real sacrifice would be like the Macedonian church did. The Macedonian church gave. They had already given so much they didn't they were poor but there was a famine and so they gave out of their very existence of living that's real sacrificial giving but let's talk about it in flower mound texas for a moment okay what does sacrificial giving look like for us today well it may look something like this an expense that you normally pay that you choose to go without for the purpose of being able to give so what might that be? Well, I had a friend of mine that I meet with occasionally, and uh, he told me about it. He said, you know, I got, I got convicted. He goes, I'm drinking, he said, I'm drinking three Starbucks coffees a day. He said, sometimes four. And uh, he said, and, and then I'm, and, and I keep asking myself, where did all my money go? And I can't do this and I can't do that. He goes, and I sat down and figured out that I was spending nearly $5,000 a year on coffee. I don't have anything to give. Now, 5000 if you're like me, that's a lot of money. That's a lot to give right there, $5,000. And he said, and I recognize I was just doing coffee. So now, he said, as hard as this is for me, I'm diverting that and I'm going to start giving it. I'm going to start giving it away. And that just seems like those are just little things that we do that we don't even think about. Whether it's cable, television, direct TV, whatever our, our hobbies or habit, to say, I'm going to take this, I'm going to divert what I would have put here, and I'm going to give it away. Now, some of you are going, well, I'm not coffee. I'm not doing that, dead gummit. Leave me alone. Why do you always got to pick on coffee? Okay, maybe it's soda for you. I don't know. Maybe it's beer for you. Whatever it is, you decide what it is, okay? But what is something you could divert the expenses from what you normally do for yourself and say, I'm going to use that to give? I mean, really, it doesn't hold a lot of water. We have nothing to give because we all spend things. Matter of fact, if I took our budgets and I placed it on someone next to someone's uh, budget in Tanzania, where we've had missionaries, or even in Transylvania, it, we would recognize, you know, I got a lot of luxuries here. We do. And we just have to recognize that. So, really, when we're talking about sacrificing, we're talking about first world sacrificing, which is much different than third world sacrificing. So we ought to just say, thank you, God. You've blessed me immensely. How much can I give? Not what do I have to give? So how do we do that, though? How do we even grow in generosity? How do we do that? What are some steps that we can take to grow in our generosity? Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. If you're struggling with money, if you're struggling with debt, you're struggling with giving, this is the number one thing that you can do. It's probably our, no, it's not up there. I good. get to get a little effect here. If you will do this one thing, it will help you more than anything else you do if you'll do this one thing. Are you ready? This is just, this will revolutionize your life. Big secret. Are you ready? Spend less. Spend less. Spend less money. Look at your budget. Look at where you're spending your money and make a budget and determine, I'm going to spend less. If you've got debt, you can apply it there. If you are, God is convicting you about giving, you can start to give it there if you will simply start there. But can I tell you this? You will never have more if you don't spend less. We have this American mindset. I'm going to wait till I make more. You know what you do? Then you spend more. 
Spend less. Number two, pray scripture. Maybe you take Matthew chapter 6 and you start praying that passage in your heart. And ask God to start transforming through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you start, and it'll begin, I, I believe you'll begin to have a more generous heart. Budget. I think it's essential. You're going to have to have a budget. You need to know what you're spending so you can spend less so that you can see how I'm going to give. Have faith. Believe that as you put that budget together and you begin to work that, that God will meet your needs. He never promised to meet our greeds. Okay? He never promised. Hey, you do this, you tithe, and you get all the money you want. Never said that. But he did promise to meet our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Make a commitment. I'm going to commit to live by faith, to live by this budget, and I'm going to make a commitment here, and I'm going to make sacrifices if necessary. Sacrifices that I look at, I look that I've been spending, I've been doing for a long time. I'm going to make that commitment, and then I'm going to engage in, in, in excuse me, I'm going to engage in serving. Uh, many, many of our people this morning went to serve down at the um, men of Nehemiah. Uh, went down there and served. Matter of fact, they'll be here next week. And many, many of our folks went down there. Many of you helped with Feed the Hunger this week. Matter of fact, if you had children and you didn't do Feed the Hunger, then you probably should never complain that your kids feel and act like they're entitled, okay? This will not fix them by any stretch of the imagination. But can I tell you, I think it's so important that when we live in Flower Man, and I know your kids probably aren't like this, but I once met a kid who felt entitled in our neighborhood and uh, just felt like, you know, they deserved everything they had and more. <clears throat> what is a way, how do you combat that? You let them see that there are people much more needy than them, and you let them be a part of that process of bringing that relief. Let them be a part of that process of giving and serving. Uh, so that's why I think those are, those are such great opportunities. Hopefully you'll take any, taking advantage of that. And then show gratitude. Make yourself a gratitude journal and just start thinking of all the things you're thankful for, of all the ways that God has blessed you, and start writing those down and giving thanks and saying those, those out loud. You know, when we started the service, um, we started talking about uh, Heather and Richard as they prepared to, to go to Romania. And... Um, you know, as we were talking about that, I, I thought about this. You know, I have this half dollar right here in my pocket. I, if you know me very well, you know that I, I like half dollars. And uh, sometimes I, I even give them away to kids. But nevertheless, uh, it's a recession right now. I'm not giving as many away. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> but it's a half dollar. And, it, and it's easy to say, you know, I've been given dominion over this. I've been given authority over this. I'm a money manager over this. God has given to me same, that same picture. Uh, today, it doesn't look like us cultivating the earth from an agricultural standpoint. It's the resources that he's given us. And he's given them to us to rule over and to use as managers. We're the money managers. Like you might have a money manager over your money, and he receives a fee. He profits from that, but it's not his money it's yours that you've entrusted him with. And he has to respect your wishes. He has to honor what you have given him and what your guidelines and boundaries are. Same is for God. God has given us authority. He has given us dominion. And the way that that primarily manifests itself today is through our resources. So he's given this to us, and we have a choice. Do we recognize this is God's, and any time he wants it or needs it, he is welcome to it, or do we hold it like this? God, bless me. And we clench a hold of the blessings he's given us. And we go, this is mine. Now, Richard, come on up here if you would. Now, if I'm holding 
my fist like this, and I'm holding on to the resource, the blessing he's given me. And God starts to pour out more blessings on me. How does that work? Not so well. I mean, I got a little bit, but now I'm going to try, try a little more. Let's see if we can, maybe I can keep more on this time. No. They keep bouncing off. Because why? Because I've clenched my fist and I'm saying, this is mine. And I'm going to control it. I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to decide. But when I open up my hands and the blessings of God start to come upon me, I can keep, I can, I am able to handle far more than when I keep my fist closed. Now, what I'm not trying to say is if you do this, you'll get all this money. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that every day God is seeking to bless and work through his children. But when we clench our fists, we miss it. We miss the purpose for which we exist. The responsibility, the work, and the giving. It is in giving that we receive. And when money falls, it doesn't matter because i got plenty more. Okay? <laughs> when blessings pour off, we're not worried. When we lose a blessing, we're not worried because our hands are open. Say, God, this is my life. Take it. Use it. It's what Richard and Heather are doing. They're saying, God, here's my life. There's a part of me that wants to clench it and keep, stay in Flower Mound and live the good life here and get more stuff. But Lord, we've come to the place where we trust you and we say, here it is. And we believe you'll bless us. And we recognize that may not be financially, but it will be better. It will be with purpose, with impact. What life do you want to live today? The new life. God has given us responsibilities. The new life, God has given us work. The new life, God has given us the opportunity to give and to make a difference. How are you doing with that? Jesus was the ultimate giver. He came and he lived the life that we should have lived as a poor man. Matter of fact, we know his parents were poor because they gave uh, the least offering that was acceptable. If you were the poorest class possible, you would give two doves, and that's what they offered. So they were poor. And then he ultimately gave his life. He opened up his hands and said, Lord, here's my life. And nails were driven through his hand, through his feet. And blood poured throughout his veins upon the ground to cover our sins. Because God so loved the world that he gave. What about you? Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've blessed us here. And I know some, Lord, are struggling financially. This is a difficult time. And, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, as you burden them and as you work with them, God, as they spend less, as they budget, Lord, that you would help them begin to meet the needs. And as a church, Lord, uh, Lord, we will help them to meet those needs. And, God, I thank you that you allow us to come together as a church to meet needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I thank you for Heather and Richard who say, Lord, here's our life. Lord, we open up our hands. Take us. Use us. Lord, I pray that that would be the prayer of each of us as believers. And for those, Father, who have not come to know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today they would say, Lord, here's my life. I believe, Christ, that you died for me. I trust you with my life. Forgive me my sins. Become my God and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In your name I pray. Amen.